Mr. Speaker. You're at the intersection of business and politics. This is the 14th and G podcast from Melman Consulting. Now, here's our host, Dean Hinkson. <laughs> Thank you for setting your podcast down the 14th and G. I am your host, Dean Hinkson. Uh, Mr. Speaker, as the man just said, and we now have a speaker, and uh, he's got a week under his belt, uh, joined here once again in the 14th and G Worldwide Studios by my colleagues here at the firm, Republican Bruce Melman and Democrat David Thomas. We are going to cover all of 2023, and we're now in the 11th month, all of 2023, in 23 minutes or less, or it's free. Bruce, David, Welcome to 14th and G. Thank you, Dean. Thank you for having us back. We do have uh, we do have a speaker with a with a week's tenure under his belt. Uh, things are happening. Appropriations bills are getting off the floor. Censures and expulsions are being uh, turned back. Uh, it sounds like uh, we've got somebody that's actually running the house. Any thoughts on uh, on on these early days for? the Speaker Johnson era. Oh, I have a lot of thoughts uh, <laughs> that I'd like to discuss, but I, I do think it is appropriate to congratulate the Republicans on having a speaker for a full week. It's a major accomplishment for them, uh, something that I'm sure they will go home and brag about one whole week. I was thinking about for, for uh, Speaker Johnson how complicated it must be. He is one speaker. We have two former speakers, and we have three speaker designees in the House. That's that's a lot of speakers. Well, my only question is, do uh, speakers emeritus get a hideaway in the Capitol? Does a speaker designee emeritus get a hideaway in the Capitol? I, I think the answer is probably <laughs> yes if uh, Mr. McHenry has anything to say about it. The problem is there's just not enough Democrats to take offices away from. So I don't know if uh, <laughs> where, where there's a will in office. I don't know. But uh, in, in all seriousness, it seems it's, it's good to have the House back in session and, and working here. Uh, they're focusing on a lot of issues that are going to come to a head uh, quickly here. So there's uh, there's really uh, no time to, to celebrate. And uh, uh, they got to get to work. Well, first front and center, uh, and, and obviously with the war raging uh, in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas in Gaza, was sort of the first order of business was to get a resolution of support across the House floor, which you know I think we've said before, there's no, no single entity I can think of that has more bipartisan, bicameral, deeper support uh, in the Congress than, uh, than the state of Israel. Uh, and now, but now we're getting into more complicated territory. And this foreign supplemental um, that is uh, that it's work that is working its way through both House and Senate. Uh, Senate actually had a hearing uh, on the foreign supplemental, which is which is not always uh, not always the case with with supplemental funding like this. But basic breakdown here: uh, Schumer and the Republican leader Mitch McConnell are at least aligned on the idea of keeping all of these buckets in the foreign supplemental together, and that's Israel, Ukraine, uh, border, and something on Taiwan, where uh, Speaker Johnson and House Republicans really want this split up, uh, and, and they're going to they're gonna, uh, fire first with, uh, with Israel-only funding. Now, I don't think anyone thinks this isn't going to eventually uh, get through the Congress and to the president's desk, but who's got the early edge here in terms of uh, how this is going to go? My two cents at this moment are because the House decided not only to split them, but to also pay for Israel uh, with uh, 
a little bit of defunding of the IRS, which, by the way, also grows the deficit based upon how they score resources to the IRS. Um, if the House can muscle it through, which would only be on Republican votes, it's dead letter on arriving in the Senate. That makes me presume where we're going to end up is the House has its bill, the Senate has its the House has its bills, the Senate has its package. Um, we don't find agreement, and we two three weeks head to the shutdown and the CR. In the CR, the Republicans seemingly would like to have it go longer to move it next to the moment when there are across-the-board automatic cuts. The Democrats would like it shorter. So it feels to me that it's setting up for a uh, for an ultimate deal where the Senate gets its uh, all of the buckets of the foreign sub voted on, and that would pass, uh, and the Republicans get the further date in the CR. That is my kind of rose-colored glasses uh, the people get funding, I think, should be funded, and it it, uh, it goes long enough, and each side gets part of a loaf. I, I do. I, I, I'm glad you brought up the IRS funding issue because I do want to dig a little deeper on that. You got and a I, problem? Well, I I, I do. Um, you know, the reporting was is that uh, the Israel uh, funding in the House bill that has been split off from everything else is paid for. That is just not true. It is. Uh, Fuzzy math, to recall an old uh, boss of yours, Bruce. You didn't Bruce. like that when he said that. Uh, it, well, this is as <laughs> You've adopted it. This Welcome is to as, the Bush administration, This is fuzzy. DT. I miss the guy. Uh, it, it, I tell you what, it is as fuzzy as it gets here because basically if, if by cutting $14.3 billion for the IRS, what does that do? That cuts audits of millionaires. And for every $1 spent at the IRS, the IRS brings in at least $6 of revenue. So CBO has itself said that by cutting $14.3 billion, you're actually adding $26.7 billion to the IRS. So we are now asking, I guess I should say Speaker Johnson is asking the American people, if we're going to help Israel, we got to give millionaires a tax credit. Bruce, uh, help terrible. me out here. I can't. I can't. Is that is that Paul Ryan over there? Because I hear dynamic scoring. Is this, <laughs> or, is this, do tax cuts pay for themselves? Well, he has the hair of a Republican. So we got that. Well, look, there are four elements you pointed out. There's support for Taiwan, which is bipartisan, and there is no known opposition. There is support for Israel, which is bipartisan, but the left wing of the left wing has some concerns uh, over uh, over. Uh, the plight of the Palestinians in, in Gaza and, uh, and the West Bank. Um, on Ukraine, it was bipartisan. You're rapidly seeing a majority of Republicans questioning whether they want to go there. And on the border, you know, we have five Democratic big city mayors in town this week trying to seek an audience with the president to say, no mas, uh, that we're drowning here in the refugees that, you know, we liked it when the red states on the border were drowning. But now that it's our cities, we don't have the resources, which the red state governors have been saying exactly. Um, it, it Again, I, maybe I'm Pollyannish, but it has all the setup to me of a deal of ultimately the border provisions will be tougher, will be more than just about resettlement. That'll also be about uh, trying to find a way to slow um, the uh, the you know historic number of uh, encounters on the southern border, which by the way is a problem the administration neither uh, policy wise nor politically really wants. If they get forced to cut a deal with Republicans, whether it's building more border fencing uh, or uh, you know remain in Mexico type policies, that will help them politically. That will help the mayors in the blue states who are here to say fix it. So. I do think, uh, notwithstanding as ugly as cable and as Twitter makes Washington, 
and the sausage making is hideous, there's a big deal here that could and should and probably will get made this month. It's a real test for the new speaker, who uh, is not a guy who's ever been in leadership. This is the the least experienced House speaker that we've had uh, going back a very long time here. And he's going up against pretty seasoned negotiators in uh, in Senator Schumer, in Senator McConnell, and in, in Joe Biden, who combined have about... 7,000 years of legislative experience. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, it, it, we're, we're going to have to see, is he Speaker of the House or is he Speaker of the Republican Conference? Because I agree with you, Bruce, that, that the elements are a deal of here where everybody should get something and we're dealing with issues that have to be addressed. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see how that plays out over the next 15 days. We've touched on it, but let's talk about it. The biggest uh, probably must-do uh, action-forcing event out there is the fact that government funding, the current continuing resolution funding the government, expires uh, on November 17th. Uh, that's in uh, that's in just about two weeks. Uh, so they're going to have to either have another short-term uh, stopgap measure, punt this longer, or actually fund uh, FY24, which we're two months into at this point. So uh, it's really interesting. Uh, Speaker Johnson campaigned for the speakership, uh, saying, hey, look, we're going to get to work on these uh, on these appropriations bills, but we're going to have to have another continuing resolution. And now there seems to be, it seems like he's going to get that leash from the hardliners in his caucus. And they're actually looking at a much longer CR. We're, we're normally uh, putting government funding up against Christmas uh, and New Year's as sort of the backstop action-forcing event. And they're saying, the, the right wing of the right wing is saying, no, let's get this into January. Let's get this into April, which, oh, by the way, if not all 12 appropriations bills are passed by the end of the year, there's a 1% across-the-board rescission, and the Office of Management and Budget has to implement that rescission by April. So they see that as their leverage point. Which it is, because at the end of the day, they can never force the Senate, let alone the White House, to swallow stuff. They win if there is no action. So that favors them when you get to that moment in time. And you're right. You know, it seems like um, I'd love to say that the, the sort of the right wing of the right wing is done with the drama. I don't think they are because it you know generates fundraising. It generates news hits. At the same time, they've picked somebody who's seen as competent, conservative, non-confrontational, doesn't have a list of enemies. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Dennis Hastert without the baggage. Um, where, We're not supposed to talk about him, uh, Bruce. <laughs> stricken from the record. But, <laughs> you know, I, I don't see anybody out to get this uh, Speaker Johnson or who, who has a plan of, well, we get rid of him, we'll put in. There is nobody else to put in. So famous last words, but it makes me feel like uh, he will have a little more latitude than, than McCarthy had, than Scalise was told you know, he would have had, than, than Jordan would have had. Um, you need somebody to sit in the chair. you got to do the best that you can do. They're getting all the media hits. They're getting all the fundraising. But you also have to do some of the basics. And April is when they think uh, the stars will align for them to have maximum advantage. DT, Senate Democrats go along with the Senate normally hates Christmas. They love having that funding deadline pushed up against <laughs> Christmas every year. They like Christmas in Washington. And then, uh, I think that's, that's yeah. uh, what they like. <laughs> no, I don't think they were going to go along with this this uh, April plan here because you're right. They get what they want. I think that, that Speaker Johnson does uh, – have a little bit of a honeymoon here, and and he benefits from the fact that he comes from the the, the crazy caucus within the um, House Republican Conference here. So he gets a little bit more leeway uh, in this initial round here. But 
I think, um, and we've talked about this before, Republicans can't help but touch that hot stove. Uh, I will be shocked if we don't have a shutdown at some point, either uh, early in next year or, or maybe in the springtime. Uh, they want to shut down the government. They think it benefits them. It won't. It never does. Uh, but I, I, I think at the end of the day, that's what happens. I'm going to push back on that just a little bit. You can call me Pollyannish here, but we're, I think we are seeing the broadening recognition in the Republican, in, in broadly in Senate and House Republicans, that shutdowns do not give you leverage. I'm not saying it's a unanimous verdict at this point, but Kevin McCarthy sacrificed his speakership on that principle. Okay. <laughs> Damn it. The other big thing happening this week, uh, just like Infrastructure Week in the Trump administration, uh, every week is AI week uh, here in the Biden administration, but this, uh, this really was AI. Uh, we had the big, uh, long-anticipated executive order uh, on artificial intelligence issued by the Biden administration. Uh, I counted three big White House confabs this week with senators and, and industry participants. Uh, and the Senate briefings, uh, we've we've had a number of clients go in uh, to these members-only Senate briefings that uh, that Leader Schumer and Senator Young and others are convening now on a pretty regular basis. So I, I know it's a little bit of silly season here in terms of everything's AI, uh, but I've seen very few issues in my time in Washington sort of capture uh, the attention this broadly for this long. Yeah, look, no doubt. When ChatGPT came on the scene, if you've been watching AI, it was ChatGPT3, you saw two, you've read, you knew kind of where this was going, but for the public imagination, this was huge. Suddenly you could, you know, you could have a conversation with a chatbot that would give smart, thoughtful haikus back. Um, so you start with that. The media got obsessive about it. The uh, Wall Street got obsessive about it. Tech, remember, in 2022, tech was, was going through its post-pandemic uh, swoon. They were getting their butts kicked in the marketplace. Suddenly, the idea that AI was going to rescue all of the stocks had that be the uh, core topic. So everybody says they were an AI company. Um, when you think about the potential downstream, both opportunities, but particularly risks, because media and Washington love risks, you know, whether it's disinformation, whether it's national security threats, um, AI has it all. So I don't recall, like you, I don't recall anything bigger. I would say it's sincere and bipartisan. I mean, the snark I would agree. say you can't spell fundraise without AI, but, <laughs> but I, I don't really see that's what's happening. The problem is they don't really know what it is. They don't know how to do it. And there is no muscle memory in the United States for internet regulation. So we're kind of making this up on the fly. This is unlike privacy. You know, this is—it's not something that the federal government is just going to be able to leave to the states or, or, or just sort of ignore or continue to debate for a decade. I mean, we're on the cusp of AI making healthcare decisions, at least informing healthcare decisions, of AI uh, operating vehicles on our roads. Like, there are just going to have to be. I agree with you, Bruce. I don't want to—I don't want to see the government picking winners and losers. But there's going to have to be some standards here for something that's going to operate in a very real way in our lives. Well, uh, we are closing out 2023, and uh, that means we're headed into a presidential election year. A few things uh, happening. The, the Republican field is getting smaller. The Democratic field for president is getting larger. Uh, or maybe it's staying the same size because RFK dropped out and is going to run as an independent, and Congressman Dean Phillips... Uh, entered the race this week. Former Vice President Mike Pence dropped out of the Republican primary. 
which seems to be narrowing now to uh, Trump, DeSantis on his way down, Nikki Haley on her way up, uh, and Tim Scott sort of holding steady said this week it's going to be Iowa or bust. But, David, I'm going to start with you because um, how was the president's reelect going? You not only have uh, RFK sort of circling out there, uh, you've got now a sitting United States congressman in the primary against him. And I just found it very interesting, Governor Newsom's uh, trip to China, standing there shaking hands with President Xi. I'm not sure if that's a governor that's all on board with his president's reelection and looking forward to supporting his second administration. Uh, boy, you gave me a lot to unpack there, Dean. I'm going to try to hit as many things I can because I've a lot. Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot. Number one is I'd like to ask for a very, very brief moment of silence for Mike Pence and Mother Pence. Uh, only, uh, only the briefest of moments because he really only ran for president for about a minute and a half. Uh, as it turns out, nobody likes Mike Pence. I, I, I uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll wish him well. It was not his, his time. His, he, his, he's young. Who can say what might have he's been? He's young. He's got at least twenty more years he could run. <laughs> uh, as far as uh, uh, Dean Phillips, uh, Congressman from Minnesota, is concerned, I uh, recognize his name about as well as I recognize the Speaker <laughs> of the House's name. Uh, Mike Johnson, two guys who nobody knew who they were a few weeks ago. He is uh, uh, gets some coverage because he, when one runs around in New Hampshire, uh, reporters tend to follow you around. No, that's not where he gets coverage. He gets coverage because everybody else in your party decided to go full jihad. How dare you? If you dare to challenge the sitting president, he's basically been called racist for throwing his hat in the ring. I'm sorry. Were you talking about what President Trump says against his people? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I lost. No, uh, all, I lost the, all the Dems are hating on Dean Phillips for daring to question the king. Dean Phillips uh, is not going to be the next president of the United Agreed. States here. He'll be moving back to Minnesota. Maybe they should he, ignore him maybe, like you do. Maybe he and Mike Pence can get together and, and uh, discuss how poorly their campaigns went here. Um, look, I think that, um, you know, there there have been some poll numbers out. It is obviously very, very tight right now. We are about one year out. This is the kind of thing that we sit around and talk about all the time here. I think that the challenge for the administration is, as people start to focus on the election here, they've got to talk about their record because the president actually has a really uh, good record going into the uh, election here. He has legislative victories with transformative leg legislation. He has restored uh, our relationships in Europe and in Asia uh, that were so battered after the previous four years. He's defending democracy at home and abroad, and the economy is on its way back. Um, that is a record uh, that any president would be envious to have going into the campaign here. Now, he's got obviously some challenges here going into next year, but I remain uh, optimistic in, in uh, a year from now that uh, people are going to feel good about this president and about his reelection. Yeah, Bruce, barring awful recession or World War III, uh, both of which are in the mix at this point, looking great for the president. Yeah, okay. He's losing to Trump right now. Every time Trump gets indicted, the Trump does better in the polls, it seems. Look, for, on the economy, as my friend here who worked for the Clinton-Gore administration would recall very well, they ran on It's the Economy Stupid as we were recovering from the end of the Cold War recession. Uh, it didn't matter what was the underlying reality. What mattered is how people feel about it. People's home buying dollar is down 50% as compared to when the president got inaugurated. Real wages are down as compared to when the president got inaugurated. Debt is up five and a half trillion dollars as compared to when the president got inaugurated. There are lots of objective, uh, green eye shade, Fed economist folks who accurately say it's we have a very strong economy, but if people feel bad about it, that's what's, that's what's gonna impact how you vote. 
Well, okay, let's let's actually unpack that a little bit, Bruce, because uh, every president who runs for re-election, what is the question you ask? Are you better off than you were four years ago? Well, let's talk about where we were three years ago and a year will be four years. Uh, number one, we were in the middle of a recession. We were in the middle of a pandemic. We had, for the first time in our history, a president who uh, refused to concede the election and then incited a riot uh, at the Capitol. That's what President Biden walked into. That's a pretty lousy hand that he has turned around. Now, what does he have to do? He has to communicate those accomplishments. That's what the White House is trying to do here um, so as they go into next year. That's not the strategy that they're going to do, and that's not the strategy to win. First thing you started with, what does he say? I don't have to be better than the almighty, just better than the other guy? It's Or the alternative? Sorry, that would be more clever. Um, the big challenge, I see it for the president, is if it's a referendum on Joe Biden, he will lose. But if it's a referendum on Donald Trump, Trump will lose. You know, Dean, you mentioned the third parties, and that gets super interesting with that new Quinnipiac poll that came out. Look, yeah, the American people are saying, I mean, a pox on both your houses. I don't like either of these options. Well, you know, uh, some people uh, ask uh, why uh, why take a vaccine, why ignore a vaccine that works? Others say, why not? Uh, 22%, 22% for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. The only thing to remember is third parties often poll well. There was a poll in June of 1992 where Perot was leading. Right. He was at 39%. Right. John Anderson, remember that guy? Right. No, nobody does. Generally, you play spoiler, you don't play to win. But the the, the problem here is just that independent is not going to win. What an independent can do is make people lose. And I, I this is something I feel very strongly about. Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader <laughs> cost Al Gore uh, the election uh, uh, down in Florida. So uh, Democrats are very concerned about uh, a Cornell West ca candidacy, about an RFK candidacy, about who the hell else knows who's going to run independent. Because all, as we've seen, 537 votes can determine an election. So it, it is something Democrats are going to push back hard What's on. fascinating is Republicans in the Trump world loved Robert F. Kennedy Jr. when he was a Democrat because he was going to pull 20, 33 percent of the protest vote. As an independent, the polls suggest he may take a little bit more of the vax skepticals uh, conspiratorial vote from Trump then he pulls kind of from the populist uh, side, the, the Bernie side wing of the Democratic Party. But Cornell West is definitely a threat for the president, particularly as a result of the president, to his credit, full-throated support of Israel. That's going to cost them vote among Arab Americans, and that's a big deal in Michigan, and it could be a big deal in Pennsylvania. Well, gentlemen, I'm going to have to hit the pause button right there because uh, I've actually got some trimming to do to get us down to 23 minutes. <laughs> but I got more to say. <laughs> and you will be back to say it, David, I promise. Thank you. Uh, we will all be back to cover 2023 in 23 minutes until it's 2024 when we get an extra minute. Bruce, David, thank you for joining me on 14th and G. Thanks, Dean. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for listening to today's podcast brought to you by the lobbying firm of Melman Consulting. For more, just type 14th and G podcast into your favorite search engine or look for 14th and G wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Beam me up, Mr. Speaker.